Julia, and welcome to Unnecessary Angst, your, your local, local YA Tipsy Book <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yes, that thing. Oh. Oh, I'm already halfway through my wine. Can you tell? Oh, I need to catch up. Mm-hmm. Wait, okay. Cheers. Well, let's catch up with each other while I catch up. I love it. Yes, Julia, what are you drinking tonight? How are you doing? <laughs> I am drinking a an Aperol Spritz. I'm your favorite. Pretty, I know. I will, um, we had my mother and I had one last night, and we were sitting outside because it's actually warm out now mm-hmm. over here, which I'm so happy about. And it felt like summer. I was so happy. Like warm weather really makes me happy. Yes. So um, nice. Yeah. I've had a week off. My classes start up again. Well, my one class starts up again this week, and then I have my internship in a month. So, still pretty much a lot of time on my hands. I got a Nintendo Switch. Woohoo! I know. I, I finally got one. I've been saying this for, like, how long now? <laughs> I finally <laughs> followed through on it. Um, thank you to my tax refund. <laughs> Which is, it's actually still not in my bank account, but I'm, like, banking on it. <laughs> They're really slow. Um, I had a very complicated tax return this year. But anyway, um, where was I going with this? Oh, I'm doing well otherwise. I've been playing a lot of uh, Animal Crossing, and I don't remember what it's called, like, House Fixer or something, where you, like, renovate a house on the Switch. I don't know. Well, that sounds like the perfect game for you. (laughs) I clean up houses and I redecorate them. I love it. That's amazing. It's literally designed for you specifically. (laughs) So that's been my entire week, basically. Um, Not a whole lot has happened. Oh, my mother and I watched Moonstruck the other day with Cher. It was a very weird movie. I don't Sounds think weird. I recommend it. My mother wanted to watch it because apparently, like, it won some Academy Awards and stuff, or like was nominated for a bunch. And like, we were both like, "Why? <laughs> we could not figure it out." Um, but yeah, that was my week. How was your week going? My week is going well. Um, it was definitely a really busy week. Lots of work because I'm transitioning between two projects right now. So wrapping up all of our documentation from the last project and trying to get everyone started on the new one, make sure everyone knows what they're doing, get us kind of off to a good start so we can all sort of work independently. So, because I'm officially leading again this quarter, so it'll be a uh, interesting, <laughs> interesting project. I have, like, one staff, um, plus Paulina, and so it'll be a, a good little quiet, easygoing team. And I'm excited for it to be like hopefully calm for the next couple of months. Still work that needs to get done, obviously, but not as insane. So I have time to work on some other initiatives and projects. But it's been a struggle to get to this point to get everything else wrapped up. So I'm, I'm excited to move forward. I finally, you'll be so proud of me. I ordered bedroom furniture. Oh my god, I am proud of you. I'm also proud that I didn't help with that at all. Uh, yeah, so my friend India, whom you know in passing, um, 
works at Wayfair, and um, oh, she got you the hookup. Got me the hookup. She also reminded me of when they were having their big annual sale. Oh. So I ordered a bed frame, a new desk, a new chair to go with my desk, box oh. spring, and then some patio furniture. This is so exciting. yeah, I will have my bedroom mostly redone in the next like week or two, hopefully soon, and then once we can kind of see how much space is left after we set up the bed frame, I'll go find some nightstands that either match the desk or are just, like, quirky and go with the the room. So, TBD. My big splurge purchase with all of that, I mean, not splurge in terms of cost of money, but just splurge in terms of, like, what it looked like, I got a bright green, not, well, like, forest emeraldy sort of green chair, like, upholstered chair to be my office chair in my room fancy yeah so you went for looks I went for looks it's gonna and I have like an oak (laughs) a light oak which is great for the podcast (laughs) one of our fave characters um I have a light oak desk with just like black I don't know sides and stuff but it has like a little bookshelf on top so I can have my tbr at my desk, like, ready to go. <laughs> and it has some other, like, little storage and stuff, so I've decided I'm gonna Are get... Are you sure you have enough room for all of your TBRs? No. <laughs> I do not. I have enough room for probably half of the books that are stacked on my kitchen island downstairs. <laughs> Which oh is just one section of my house that has TBRs. The built-ins will come. The built-ins will come. I just need to work with my family, find time that my cousin can come down here and build them. We'll we'll get it. Cause I, and then they'll fill everything because they're going to be floor to ceiling, three sides each alcove. So it's going to be great. I have full faith that it will all get set up at some point, and then I can set up my reading nook. I have... Um, all of my little framed pictures that are going to go in my reading nook, like, framed, ready to go. And I ordered some uh, Golden Snitch fairy lights that I'm going to hang Aww. up in the reading nook. So it's going to be super cute. I mean, I need to get a plug. That's cute. I need to get a plug, like, installed in the closet, potentially. Um, mm-hmm. But, nah, cross that bridge when I get there. Um, but, yeah, so it's... A lot of house decorating has been happening. Once we get the bedroom set up, then I'll finish some of the stuff downstairs, like wall furnishings and stuff. But slowly but surely, it's coming together. And tonight I'm drinking a Petite Syrah. Cute. Yeah, I finally ordered wine. I'm glad. <laughs> I missed it. Your, your cider has been a, a long time now. It, it has. It has. Yeah, I definitely have missed having wine and I had a built-up balance on my naked wines account so here we go I need to buy some of my own wine I've been relying on my parents but I'm gonna be on my own again soon I need to get some of my own bottles mm-hmm. yeah exciting stuff. when I come visit you we'll buy all the wine and just have a grand old time we can make our own charcuterie boards again Oh my god, we can! Oh. And watch silly cartoons. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Ugh. 
We'll have to oh, go right. to Target to buy some oh of my the God. things <laughs> to go with our little night, just I like Jude. Been to Target in so long. I'm- <laughs> Great transition. Mm-hmm. Even though okay. we're not talking about a specific <laughs> chapter no, this week. <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> I just love that she went to Target in the epilogue. That's literally how the epilogue starts, and it's, it gets me every time. I love it so much. So, should we dive in? I think we should. Okay, so it's our last episode for The Cruel Prince. Are you sad? I am. I'm, I am sad, mainly because I loved this book way more than I thought I was going to, and I think taking it slow made me love it more than I would have loved it. I don't think I would have liked it as much if I read it quickly, because I just would have hated Jude the entire time and, like, been angry for most of the book, and I'd be like, ugh, like, I'll read the next one, but God, but when we take it slow and actually, like, take time to, like, talk about their motivations and stuff... I fell in love with all of the characters, and I'm so I'm sad it's over, but I'm really excited for the Wicked King. Well, can you give me your original thoughts and final considerations? Yeah, so I think, so originally coming into it, I didn't know quite what to expect, because this was my very, very first fairy fiction book ever. <laughs> I had never read... I've read books about the Fae where there's, like, changelings, where they're, like, thriller novels kind of a thing, but nothing super, like, straight-up fantasy set in a fairy world kind of a situation. Um, So I was was a little hesitant coming into this book because, A, I really love folklore, as you know. Like, I'm a huge folklore fan. I love learning about different kinds of folklore, and I like things to stay pretty true to original folklore but the good thing about the fae is it's so broad and all-encompassing that you can kind of do whatever you want with it and still stay true to the original folklore so it doesn't really matter that much Mm -hmm. um so i was i was pleasantly surprised with how holly black kind of weaved in the modern world into this like mystical realm that she's built based off of you know folklore that she's clearly studied um And I also am glad that the characters didn't seem as fairy-ish as I was expecting them to be. Like, obviously, they have their things. Like, Locke has his little fox fur. Balakin has his bear fur. Hardin has his tail. Like, I get that there's weird quirks about all of them, but their motivation still felt not mortal necessarily, but human and the fact that they were all pretty petty. So it it felt pretty normal for someone who reads a lot of mythology, which, you know, I do. Like, they're petty like the gods are petty. And so it's not as awkward or, like, far-reaching as it would be if you're reading about, like, elves. Which sometimes I have a hard time relating to elves because they're just, like, too perfect. So I, I was pleasantly surprised with all of the fairy characters. And I was also surprised at the fact with how much I didn't like the humans. Like, Norm, I thought I was going to be more, like, on the side of the humans, like, navigating through this fairy world. And I was, for the most part, just frustrated with them all of the time for being too human. Um, which I was not expecting at all throughout the book. <laughs> so, I, yeah, it, it definitely... Ex- 
exceeded my expectations. I'm glad you made me read this. Um, but not at all what I was expecting. Because, I, I mean, I also came into it knowing that, like, Jude and Cardin are some kind of an enemies to lovers situation, but not really knowing what that meant. And all you kind of told me is that it's going to be a long-ass slow burn, which is so <laughs> true. But it was a pleasant journey all the way along, and it never felt really forced, and it never felt unearned in any of the ways that it sometimes can be when when people use tropes incorrectly. So, I don't know. I was I was pleasantly supply, surprised by Holly Black's writing, which is why I've now picked up, like, every book she's ever written, and it's just sitting in my TBR, which is problematic, but <laughs> whatever. What about you? How are you feeling about it upon reread? It's been interesting because I read it so quickly. What was it? Last summer, around when you left, I got into this, like, reading thing. I talked about it at the beginning where I was, like, I read, like, probably a dozen books in under a week. (laughs) And this was one of them. So I read it really quickly and I missed a lot of these smaller details, which now that we were reading it slowly, I had a lot more time to pick up on them. Yeah. Um... And I think that you're right, like, reading it slowly, you have a very different way of taking in the story and the characters, because, like, when I read it, like, super, super fast, I don't think I cared a lot about Jude or Carden, but, like, not until I got into the second and third book, which I still stand by, I think this third book is probably one of the better books. So Mm -hmm. that's when you get, like, the really good character arcs and, like, redemption stories and blah, blah, blah. So that's when the characters are really to me more interesting but getting through it now you're right is like they have a lot I think more intricacies than I noticed in that first round of reading but like more than just that I feel like we had more time to go into like as you said the folklore and kind of the mythology that she draws a lot of inspiration from like I didn't look up I think we looked up a lot of like mythology stuff and folklore stuff um as I recall like at the beginning yeah I didn't look up any of that the first time I read it except for like Queen Mab like I'm very familiar with Queen Mab but like everyone is right um um but like other little things that we were looking up like the name etymologies and stuff I think Mm -hmm. that was really interesting to get to do um and like I think and we just talked about this before we started recording, but when I was putting together this trivia game, it was really difficult to find, like, more fae-based things because she draws from so many different sources, and I like that, though. Like, it's not just, like, she's looking at the Scottish folklore. She's not just looking at Greek mythology. She's putting all of it into this story that she can, like, work with on her own. It's a huge amalgamation, yeah. Yeah, which is really fun. It's different. You're not just rereading the same, like, inspired characters over and over again. Right. Um, yeah. So I think getting to, like, go back and dive into those little details more are really interesting. I, I feel like it's probably one of those books, too, where you can actually let yourself get lost in the world building instead of the plot yeah. upon reread. Because it is a very plot-centric book. Which makes sense, because it's YA. YA is not Mm -hmm. known for world building, ever. (laughs) Um, So it makes sense that it's a lot more plot and character focused than necessarily, like, world building. But she does slip these little details in there and, like, a lot of politics that you can kind of let simmer if you read it slowly, which which I appreciated. 
Um, you know, one thing I actually found really interesting that I was thinking about this the other day as I was scrolling through TikTok, as one does, <laughs> this, so different from the concealed, because I know, like, we talked about this stuff when we were doing the concealed as well, but, like, this truly felt YA in a way that I don't feel like I felt reading YA fantasy in a really long time. Um... Mm-hmm. Like, they really actually felt like teenagers making dumb choices. Yeah. (laughs) Which, you know, and we know we're not the target audience for that. Like, 100% recognize that teens need people that they can relate to to know that there are other people that are going to make the same mistakes or just process information the same way that they're going to process. And it's nice to see that reflected in a fantasy world versus just, like, contemporary romances, which can get a little drab for some people. Um, But I was just reflecting on this the other day when I was seeing some teenagers or, like, like, younger adults, like, you know, 20 years old, 19, 20 years old, talk about this book and, and similar books on TikTok, is they were talking about how Jude is, like, their favorite character and how much they absolutely adore Jude, even if they've only read The Cruel Prince. And I was like... But how? She needs so much (laughs) therapy. Like, where is this coming from? And then I recognized, I was like, oh, actually, she makes sense to a teenager. She's very much a teenager. And she doesn't, and it doesn't always make sense to me, which is kind of the purpose of this podcast, is like, how can adults still enjoy YA, but like, you know, processing the fact that we're not the target audience and weeding through some of the angst that we no longer necessarily feel when we deal with Mm -hmm. situations um and i just it it felt very poignant to me and as i was scrolling through tiktoks about this book um how much it really is a true ya fantasy and i love it for that like i love having that representation and that support you know for being able to see yourself in all of its messiness reflected in Jude in a way that she we makes, probably would have related to in high school. Yeah. And she makes very teenage mistakes too, which like you compare it to like our very beloved um, Six of Crows. They're teenagers, but they're not making teenage mistakes. No. They're making adult mistakes. <laughs> they're of a teen age, but they really are not teenagers. They're not teenagers. Which is why I think Six of Crows works for so many people, because you get the mm-hmm. the young love aspects of Six of Crows, where you can see, like, the awkwardness between Kaz and Inej, and you can see the, like, lust between Nina and Matthias. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what else to call it. Um, same with, like, Jesper and Wyland. Like, there's the so many... Mm-hmm. There's so many, like, teen feelings that are reflected in how they all interact with one another, Mm -hmm. but the story is more grown up in a lot of ways, and so you hit both audiences. They have a lot more adult traumas, too, that they're dealing with, so you get those cute romances, but at the same time, like, the reason behind those romances are not really teenagers. I mean, teenagers do go through those traumas, but it's not a general trauma. You mean in high school you didn't to. accidentally call your boyfriend a slaver and then have to rescue him from prison? What? I know. I know. I really missed out. You didn't buy your uh, significant other out of a brothel? 
wild. <laughs> Thought that's what all teenagers did. <laughs> no, that's that's totally fair. Oh God, I just love this genre. I love this genre for how it continues to challenge me to think about like the teenage experience, especially mm-hmm. now that I'm living with a teenager. It's like very helpful to fo- like force me to refocus my mind. Um, and not get so it's caught up. Fun, I would say to see how far we've come as like from yeah. teenagers to adults. Like what we thought was so like terrible as teens, looking back on it now, like comparing these characters like to the similarities that we've had um, with like romance and like friendships and mm-hmm. family problems. Like it's all stupid. <laughs> it is, and it get, well I mean, not the, all of it, but most of it. <laughs> but it gets better. Like even when you're yes, stressed and exactly. angsty and upset, and it feels like the world is ending, like we've made it through the other side, and we know mm-hmm. it gets better. We know it's gonna get better for Jude and Carden. Yep. I have to know that it's going to get better for Jude and Carden. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's gonna end up like a. Um... Oh my god, uh, a Beatrice Pryor and four situation. Dear Lord, don't you dare bring that up right now. Divergent wrecked my soul. So I should probably reread Divergent in a healthier state of mind, but. Probably. Eh. I'm gonna give credence to more diverse authors than Veronica Roth. Yeah. I remember that book. I think it was Hattie. Shout out to Hattie. I think I'm pretty much positive she's the one who recommended it to me. And it had just come out, and like we had to wait for the second and the third book. And then that that third book came, and I was like, I waited all these years for this ending. Are you actually kidding me? I was so mad, and I've like rarely read a book series and like when it has first come out since then. Traumatic experience. That's <laughs> my fair. That's, I mean, well, and then even worse, we got the movies that we got. I never to go even with finished time. the movies. Yeah. Like, that era, it's like they made Hunger Games, and Hunger Games was so perfect, and then they screwed the pooch <laughs> on Divergent and Maze Runner. And At least they finished Maze Runner, like, loyally to the book i feel like i didn't watch the rest of the divergent movies but it sounds like they like deviated a bit i don't know maybe I'm. it was the whole thing was a mess that's god it was bad not i'm not watching it so i don't care (laughs) not relevant to what we're talking about the only last thing i'll say about movie adaptations is we need justice for aragon that's it (laughs) Let's move into the discussion of characters and sort them into Hogwarts houses, our favorite. Oh, I love this. I don't I know. I will say, compared to the concealed, I do not think we're going to have as, like, even of house no. assignments. No, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'll keep track of them right, as we go along. I want to see. Okay, amazing. Okay, should we start? Let's I'm really excited. Start. I want to hear your take on Jude. Okay, so it's interesting because obviously I edit all of the episodes, and we make mm-hmm. a lot of Hogwarts House references. <laughs> yeah. Well, mostly I do. I make a lot of Hogwarts House references <laughs> as I talk through things. Um, but Jude, we have waffled on a lot. The only thing we've agreed on is she does not belong in Hufflepuff. 
No, absolutely not. That's the only house she should never, ever step foot in. She will traumatize (laughs) those poor children. Um, But she has elements of Gryffindor, Slytherin, and Ravenclaw. (laughs) A little bit of everything. However, I think my final choice for her is going to end up being Gryffindor because while she has ambition um, and I think that her ambition will shine through in moments, I don't think it's the defining part of her personality. I think that she has this loyalty to whatever ideal and moral code she's going with at the moment. It changes a lot, but she sticks very strong to whatever her moral code is at a given moment and, like, views everyone who's on the opposite side of that moral code as, like, evil, bad, whatever it may be. Um, Which is, again, isn't always necessarily the right viewpoint, but it's because she has that moral compass however skewed it may be, it feels very Gryffindor to me, where, like, where Slytherins don't necessarily always have that same stalwart (laughs) moral compass, um, even if they may share ambition-y traits at times. Ravenclaw, she's just not, she's not as, like, seeking of knowledge for knowledge's sake. Like, there's always a point to the knowledge that she seeks, and she's reckless with the knowledge that she ends up gaining. She doesn't yeah. know how to hold it in. She like, She's bad. She says things without thinking. She confronts people without thinking. Um, and I think that that, that reckle- recklessness, but also that moral code, is what like ties her into Gryffindor at the end of the day, even though she... She's one of those Gryffindors that will, like, only date a Slytherin. Which is random, but Jude. That is Jude. (laughs) I don't know. What are your thoughts? I'm, I think I've said it a couple times for her, but I am putting her into Slytherin. I get the moral arguments, although I still stand by that. I think that Slytherins can be very, very, they have very good morals. Just, there's some bad apples that give the Slytherin name a bad reputation but regardless the reason I am saying that she is a Slytherin is because I think that she is very cunningly ambitious like she could have basically I think gone about the whole getting power any other way but she took this opportunity with Dane and to be a spy which I think that if she were more of a Gryffindor, in my view, she would have been a little more boastful about it, which she kind of is sometimes, but I think that she was pretty good about being a little bit quiet about her whole spy position. And Do you like, think she would have stayed quiet if she wasn't forced to? It's true. Um, she didn't try. She tried once, I think, and that was it. Um, so, who knows? That's a good point. But um, And then, I think that I don't know. It it just like her whole riot, her need for for power just seems very very selfish. Like her whole drive is to show that she is like basically as good if not better than the rest of the fairies, right? And mm-hmm. I don't know. It just doesn't 
it, the whole selfishness part of that aspect, I guess, going, I'm kind of contradicting myself, but going on like, the less good side of Slytherin, like, that just feels so, like, I don't know. It doesn't feel like something a Gryffindor would do. I feel like a Gryffindor would do it for the greater good versus her, who's more concerned about her own status in this world. Does that make sense? I don't know. It it 100% makes sense. <laughs> I think the the hard part with Jude is she's on that line between yeah. she's the, both between really. the bad parts of both houses yeah, <laughs> like really so i guess the question is on the good traits of the houses where does she fit in the most because mm-hmm. in terms of uh, bravery she's very brave she's very brave like she will throw herself on the fire to protect yeah. her family if she needs to um, and also I think to protect someone else, like what she did with Sophie, right? Like that was mm-hmm. an extremely brave, reckless choice <laughs> that she made just because she related to someone, um, who was also mortal and wanted to try to do the right thing, even though she knew it was not the smart decision, but don't forget with that whole situation, she was questioning, did she do it because it was for a greater cause or was she doing it to make herself feel better that she had helped someone out of this situation? Yes. I don't think she does things for the greater good. I would not say she aligns herself with Dumbledore and Grindelwald. Like, don't get me wrong. Um, I think that there is a selfishness to her that is very... Slytherin, but I also mm-hmm. think that her need and drive to attain power is not just for the sake of having power. Like, she doesn't okay. want the power to control other people. She wants the power to keep her and her family safe. And I think that that can fit into both houses. Yeah. Is the problem. Tough. She's it's tough. tough. Well, that'll, we should come back to this um, after we... After we, we sort everyone else. Books. We can... We can... Yeah. We'll, we're hat-stalling her for now. We'll come back to her after. But even, like, after the third book, because she has a big personality change, I would say. That doesn't surprise book. me. She's gonna... She needs to do a lot of growth. So... Yeah. Well, <laughs> she'll hat-stall between Gryffindor and Slytherin, like Harry Potter, for now. I mean, Harry Potter wasn't a hat stall, but close enough. And um, we'll revisit and try to come to a consensus by the time we finish Queen of Nothing. I like that plan. <laughs> Who is next, Julia? Cardin. Okay, I want you to go first for Cardin. I think Cardin is a Hufflepuff. Because I, first of all, I don't, like, just, like, a process of elimination. I don't think he's that brave. I don't think he's that cunning. I don't think he's that smart. But, like, I do think he is genuinely loyal. Um, to wine. To wine. For sure. That's his number one boo. Um, but, like, I think that we also see glimpses of it with Jude. He's not really sure why he feels loyal to her, and it's not, like, a dedicated loyalty, but, like, he is supportive, I think. Probably supportive is a better word than loyal. He's very supportive of people, and, like, 
you could see that he still, I think, felt, like, attachment to Nikesha. Like, whatever happened between them, like, it, it's clear that they had some sort of bond that I think he still feels loyal to her in some way uh-huh. or supportive of her. Um, we do see that he, like, there's a moment when Jude, I mean, this is all we know from Jude's perspe- perspective, but, like, worries that maybe Card still feels somewhat loyal to Balakin because at the end of the day he is still his brother. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, we don't really know how the loss of his entire family truly affected him because he was, like, stone drunk. <laughs> cold out, passed out, mm-hmm. cold drunk, not really passed out, but, you know. Um, but I I think that it has to affect him in some way. Um, mm-hmm. And then he had his little circle of friends, which they weren't, he wasn't that close to them, but he was still, like, somewhat, somewhat loyal. Like, whether that was misplaced loyalty or, like, for his own safety to like have strong powerful people around him at the end of the day at the end of the day i cannot talk he i think was so like somewhat supportive of them um i completely agree (laughs) i but i also want to add on to that that i think especially with his circle of friends he exhibited and this is gonna sound wild given how mean they were to jude but he exhibited the best amount of fairness that he could mm-hmm. to balance keeping Jude safe and yeah. keeping his friends happy. He tried to do all of it. Like, he tried to keep that balance so that she would never be, like, really, really hurt, but also make sure that Valerian was getting his kicks and keeping his friend sure. happy. And, like, that's not normally what we think of when we think of fairness, but I think Cardin did the best that he could in this situation, and he always tried to pull his friends back before it got too far in every situation. He always was making sure that Jude was okay and that the situation was not going to be so traumatic that it would, like, destroy her. Um, <laughs> traumatic in some cases, but not not the worst, you know, situation at all. Um, the only... Th- trait of Hufflepuff that Carton does not have is hard working. <laughs> but you know what? We're not all everything associated with our house. So I agree. Yes. I would say he's definitely not Hufflepuff. The one area where I could see not him necessarily being a Slytherin, but getting along with a lot of Slytherins. Like, I think he's that Hufflepuff that has a lot of Slytherin friends because he understands the machinations of being cunning, even if he is not cunningly ambitious himself. He knows how to act that part, and he knows how to fit in that role of, like, dealing at court and sliding his way into whatever situation he needs to if he's asked to play that part, but he's only going to do that part out of a sense of loyalty to make someone else happy. Yep. Well put. <laughs> Love. So Carton is a solid Hufflepuff. Love my little Hufflepuff baby. Yes. So what about Taryn? See, for so long, we said Taryn was a Hufflepuff. But she was such a little bitch in the last couple of chapters and exhibited no sense of loyalty, no sense of fairness, like nothing but 
I can also understand, like, her wanting her simple life and trying to keep things fair by keeping her boo happy (laughs) and also make sure her sister didn't get absolutely destroyed and trying to find the balance and failing at it. But, like, not knowing what else to do because she's not cunning, because she's not super smart, because she's not really brave. So it's almost like Taryn is, like, a squib Hufflepuff. (laughs) Like, she's just not quite there, but she's trying really hard. Okay. So you're keeping her as a Hufflepuff. Yes, and the reason for that is because I don't think, well, A, I don't think she's a Ravenclaw. One iota. I do not want her. I do not claim her. her. She's not creative. She's not knowledge-seeking. She's not wise. None of it. I do not claim her in my house. Um, I also do not think she's brave. If she was brave, she would have stood up for Jude the countless times that they were bullying her. She would have stood up to Locke when Locke tried to torment her sister. Um, So she's not a Gryffindor. So it's between Hufflepuff and Slytherin. And I don't think she's ambitious. Like, I think she's trying to build a safe, level life for herself. But she doesn't seek anything beyond that. Like, she's just trying to get to her baseline bare minimum for survival. She's not trying to thrive in the same way that like Jude is trying to thrive or the same way Vivi is trying to thrive so I just I don't see her actions as ambitious I see them as happening out of a sense of fear that she's gonna fall behind mm-hmm. so yeah I'm gonna stick with Hufflepuff okay I am also giving her Hufflepuff I don't think that she should be in any of the houses I think she should be kind of just basic, your basic squib. I don't think she deserves to go to Hogwarts. She is filch. She can um, clean the floors. <laughs> but I do think that she has, I think she thinks she's doing the right thing for her family by marrying a very well-to-do fairy. And she thinks that she's going to give the, her family status, but she's just going about it in the wrong way. She's just not smart. She's not a smart Hufflepuff. No. Um, and, like, she, everything that she says, every time she's kind of confronting Jude when Jude's having her issues with, you know, that gang, um, it is, I mean, we know later on that it's kind of, she's trying to protect herself with her whole walk situation, but I do think that there is genuine concern for her sister. Like, she doesn't want to see her sister end up being thrown into a river again and, like, eaten by Nixies or whatever. Right. Like, she is concerned about that. But she doesn't know what to do about it. Exactly. She's just not smart, so. You know what she strikes me as, or who she strikes me as? Ernie McMillan. Oh. (laughs) This Ernie slander. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. I mean, but, like, Ernie McMillan in Chamber of Secrets, not necessarily Ernie McMillan later on. He gets... Slightly better in the later years. Poor Ernie. Yes, that's true. So yeah, at least at least Ernie was brave though. Like he 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 deserved to be in Gryffindor versus Taryn doesn't really deserve to be in any of these houses. <laughs> She's our Umbridge. <laughs> oh no, not really, because Umbridge was a Slytherin because she was super ambitious, so she can be Filch. And, and Umbridge was on another level, but yeah. <laughs> 
You know, she's she's a Hufflepuff, but like the Hufflepuff that is not at the top of the class. <laughs> All right, Vivi. We have so many more to get through. <laughs> we do. I'm claiming Vivi. Okay, Ravenclaw. I think she's a Ravenclaw. Now, the reason for this. First one. Vivi's very smart. Like, she knows what's going on with everyone and is, like, thinking about what's going on with everyone. Like, she's constantly questioning Maddox. She's constantly questioning Jude. She's constantly questioning Taryn and, like, trying to figure out, like, how they're all playing around with one another and figuring all this stuff out. But she doesn't care about that information to use it for anything. Like, all she wants to do is go hang out with her girlfriend at Applebee's and in the mortal (laughs) realm and just, like, chill and be creative and, like, use her glamours to, like, succeed bare minimum in life and just, like, live her life. But she's able to understand everything that's going on around her and process it and figure out how to apply that to her situation to keep herself safe and to keep herself moving forward. She cares about her family. She cares about keeping a modicum of power, but I don't think any of that stuff that she cares about is as impactful as just, like, her living her life, doing her own thing, being off in her own bubble. And so it's, she's very much one of those, like, flighty Ravenclaws, like a Luna Lovegood kind of a Ravenclaw, <laughs> where she's, like, just trying to, like, live her life. She knows what's going on with everyone. She doesn't really want to do anything about it. She just wants to, like, know about it, make sure it's not going to impact her, and just, like, keep going. Okay. I'm going to also put her in Hufflepuff. Okay. <laughs> I can see your your point. Um, I think she's kind of a combination of Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff. I think she's very, 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 very loyal to the core. In the Like, she's very particular about who she's loyal to. And she will stick with that to, like, her death. Like, the way that she is so close with her sisters and still always skeptical about Maddox, even though she has lived with Maddox now for how many years, but she can't forget what Maddox did to their parents. Mm -hmm. Jude and Taryn moved on, sure, but, like, she's like, I remember everything that happened, and I'm not going to let them go. I'm holding a grudge for the rest of my life, and I'm trying to get away from you with my sisters because I still think that you're not good for them and for me. Um, So, yeah, that's really it. Um, That's why I'm doing your Hufflepuff. I think she's kind of a combo of both Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff, though. I mean, that's completely fair. That's... I'm a Ravenpuff. I get it. (laughs) Um, Okay, Maddox, your favorite. Maddox is Slytherin. Yeah. Why would you even need to talk about that? He's like the Malfoys of this book. (laughs) He's the Lestranges of this book. Yeah. God. To give a reason, I feel like we've talked about it before too. Like he is just so, like. (laughs) I don't he's just a snake. He's a pure snake. I'm holding out hopes he becomes a snape. But <laughs> I don't feel great about that right now. But I'm mm-hmm. I'm hoping he redeems himself cuz you know how much I love Daddy Maddox. Yeah, I know you you really <laughs> I don't I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> oh god, but yeah, 100% Slytherin. I don't think we need to debate that. No. Oriana. She's tough. 
I feel like we don't really know her well, so this is interesting. I think that that's true. We don't know her well. I want you to go first on this one. You, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Um, I'm gonna give her Ravenclaw. I think that there's. I mean, I also I know stuff that happens later on, so I'm trying not to like bring too much of that in, but um. Mm-hmm. I kind of am. <laughs> but um, I think that there's more to her that we haven't figured out yet. We know mm-hmm. a little tidbit about her backstory with um, Lirio and that whole Oak situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was smart enough to realize, like, if I go to Maddox, who is a very powerful and very dangerous, because, like, we call him a Slytherin, but he is pretty, like, he's dangerous and I think in some ways loyal to people he loves like if i go to this man he will protect this really important person yeah um so i think that's the first indication that we get that she is thinking not in just like a right now sense but in the future sense Mm -hmm. um uh i think you know it's questionable like did she realize would maddox possibly end up using oak to his advantage maybe she just didn't foresee that happening she didn't quite realize how ambitious he was we don't Mm -hmm. really know um but i think she also recognizes like we have her conversation with jude where she's like jude you need to help me with oak she recognizes that jude could possibly help her um, yeah which is saying a lot um i mean just little tidbits i don't think as we said we know a whole lot about her and that's just my like bringing in some stuff I know that happens later on. I would say she's a Ravenclaw. That's fair. I'm I'm waffling between Ravenclaw okay. and Gryffindor. Because I think everything that I think everything that you said is accurate. 100%. I think that from like a smarts perspective, she's clearly very intelligent and she clearly knows how to not necessarily game the system, but like figure out the system to make it work again to keep her safe rather than to get her power and that's where it's not ambition it's just like keeping a base level like using your smarts to keep you okay kind of a thing which is what a Mm -hmm. ravenclaw would do they're not trying to get ahead with their smarts they're just trying to exist with their smarts um so i i completely agree with you there that she's just trying to keep her and oak safe but i also think and i mean I love my house. I do. But we can be relatively callous in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that she would have necessarily been that, that, like, just a straight-up Ravenclaw would have been that brave to go literally cut a baby out of her dead friend's body to save him (laughs) and then go make all of these decisions to keep this baby safe that she has no ties to other than the fact that it's her dead competition friend's baby um so for that reason like i see her as more the gryffindor side of like the loyalty where she's doing it because it's the right thing to do and because she loved this person and she wants to do the right thing She's not trying to save the world. She's not trying to save the crown. She's just trying to do the right thing by her friend who's no longer here. And that, like, friendship and camaraderie is 
a little bit more Gryffindor to me than Ravenclaw. Not that we can't be good friends, because hopefully you think I'm also a good friend. Like, Ravenclaws are not bad friends. It's just that in this instance, her bravery to step outside the bounds of what was respectable and appropriate in the moment, knowing the dangers that it was going to bring, makes her... She's like a Hermione, where she's like has the smarts to do all of those things, but the bravery is what's winning out in the end in the decisions that she's making. I've talked myself into Gryffindor. I'm going with Gryffindor. Okay. <laughs> you did spend a lot of time on Gryffindor. I'm sorry. Okay. But, she, like, again, like a Hermione Gryffindor. Okay. Got it. Oak. He's a baby. I know. We... You know what? I'm not leaving anyone out. <laughs> uh, that's fair. Oak. Oak's a Gryffindor. Okay. <laughs> we don't have much to say about him, but I, uh, Yeah, I don't have a lot to say, but I will say, you know, he was, again, very brave to stand up in front of all of those people and do what he did, even though, I mean, I know he was scared, but he pushed through his fear to do what his sisters asked of him and to be loyal to his family and try to do what he thought was the right thing because that's what he was told was the right thing. Not a lot of independent thought there, um, but again, fits with Gryffindor. Uh, <laughs> no offense to Gryffindor's listening. Uh, so yeah, I think as of right now, Gryffindor, once we learn more about Oak, this may change. I don't know, but that's where I'm at. I think I'm also going to give him Gryffindor for the same reasons that you said. And, like, he does talk about, like, wanting to, when they, in the epilogue, when they go into the, um, human world, <laughs> they, uh, he does talk about, like, wanting to go back and, like, see Oriana and everyone. And But I think that he doesn't complain too much, actually. Like, he's kind of like, okay, like, this is happening, but, like, wouldn't it be nice? When he could kind of carry on and whine. Um, and I think that as a kid, to, like, be torn from your world like that, uh, in a very different world. It's not just like you're going from human world to the fairy world where there's magic. You're going from magic to having basically nothing. Yeah. Like, that sucks. Like, that's tough on a kid. And you have to pretend uh, you're not you. Exactly. So he's yeah, shouldering his huge burden. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to also say Gryffindor. Ugh, so proud Gryffindor. of our little baby. <laughs> uh, Locke? Slytherin. Yes. Me too. That was easy. We've said this before too. He's the worst. I'm sorry he that is. your house gets the worst. He is selfish, ambitious, in all the wrong ways. He is the definition of a snake. Mm-hmm. Willing to what step on whoever it takes to get what he wants. It's... He wants his own entertainment. He will do whatever he needs to do to get it. It's the worst. He's the worst. He's worse than Maddox. I will say that. Locke is yeah, worse than Maddox. So at least I didn't pick the absolute villain to fall in love with Maddox, in this book series. Yeah. Maddox's violent, where Locke is very quietly scary in his own way. He's sneaky. I don't like sneaky people. Yeah. Like, Maddox's not... 
I mean, he's sneaky, but not, like, sneaky about who he is. Like, he's very upfront yeah. about who I he mean, is. it like, he has made it clear. He dropped hints at the beginning of the book. He's like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep our family, like, you know, doing well and at the top of the food chain, basically. Like, and if was, I'm ruling, we're clear. at the top of the food chain. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. So, That's... You gotta give him that. Mm-hmm. Okay, Valyrian. <laughs> Valyrian's a Gryffindor. You're giving him a Gryffindor, okay? Mm-hmm. Why? He doesn't want power. He just wants to like be, and he's aggressive and loud and rambunctious. He's like everything that is wrong with Gryffindors. He is serious black bullying other kids. Gryffindor. Now, does he know what the right thing is? No. But he thinks he knows what the right thing is. He thinks that what he's doing, like, he's fully sold in his moral compass that, like, eradicating the, um, the, the mortal population from, like, the high class is, like, the right thing to do because he's just trying to keep it all, like, clean and easy and, like, get back to his comfort place and... While his moral compass is obviously very, very skewed in the wrong direction, he is following one. It's just wrong. Um, and he's making decisions based on that moral compass, not because he thinks it's going to get him anything. Because, like, killing Jude won't get him anything. No. He's just, he has, yeah, he thinks he's doing it for the greater good. He's just led very much astray it takes a lot of bravery not the good kind of bravery but a lot of bravery to go and try and kill someone while they're sleeping yeah like it's you're right it's all of the bad traits of gryffindor rolled into this one character he's just got a lot of bravado yeah he's which a, is he's like a jock gone wrong exactly <laughs> which is what gryffindors are to me yeah. Which is so bad because, like, all of the main characters are Gryffindor <laughs> in Harry Potter. But, like, yeah. whatever. I vibe okay. with my Ravenclaws. <laughs> what about Nikesha? Nikesha's a Slytherin. Mmm. Why do you think that? Um, well, A, we don't know that much about her. But what we do know about her um, what everyone has told us about her is that she, so, like, what we learned from, about Cardin, right, is each of his friends valued him for a particular thing, and we've talked about this in the past. So, Valerian valued him because Cardin gave him access to be a bully, and gave him free reign to be a bully. Mm-hmm. Locke valued him because it gave him access to interesting stories, and it gave him access for pe- more people to fuck with, basically. Nikasia, while I don't think that she didn't, I think that she loved him in her own way, her initial partnering with Cardin was not because of who Cardin was, it was because of what access Cardin could offer her and her mother. And I think she is a strategic pawn, and happy to be a strategic pawn, in trying to continue to climb up the food chain and get better access at court. She's trying to gain more power. Um, What she's going to do with that power, I don't think we know yet, because we 
still don't really know that much about her. And she's not a bad person. She can be a little cruel sometimes, but I don't think she's a bad person. Like, we know she warns Jude about Locke, but warning Jude about Locke has nothing to do with whether or not she's going to be able to win back Cardin. So she's only willing to give out those little snippets of information as they're long as they're not going to impact her climb to the top. Okay. I'm giving her Hufflepuff. Hmm. Um, I think I can say this. Like, obviously, you know, stuff that happens to her later on, and I'm, like, a fan of her character. Um, But, like, even, like, in this first book, I think I had the same thoughts where I think I felt like she was kind of a, I don't want to say, like, misunderstood character, but kind of misunderstood where like I think that she is very loyal to her mother and her own kingdom and like you can make the argument that she's a Slytherin and that she's trying to be ambitious for her kingdom but I think she's doing it more out of like loyalty to her kingdom like she if she does marry Cardin who is the prince of a very important kingdom um, that will do a lot of good for her own kingdom Um, and then I think she's also doing it for her mother and I think that is even brought up by her as like oh like we would make a really good match um her mother's words not her I think that came up in the first book if I'm wrong then I'm sorry I just spoiled <laughs> but um I think that I, I think that's well known yeah and I think that you mentioned this like her interaction with Jude that's still I like held on to that for a long time um but I do think that she has she's not like a selfish or like self-focused person in that she is like she does kind of feel some empathy towards Jude and we see it in that moment um mm-hmm. and I think it's that's more of her Hufflepuff side shine so I think I think that that's fair I the last thing I'll say is I think for the interesting thing with loyalty is I know it's a trait we normally associate with Hufflepuffs in a lot of ways, but I think with the exception of Ravenclaws, loyalty manifests in the other three houses in very different ways where it's impactful traits. So like Gryffindor, it's loyalty to an idea, loyalty to doing the greater good. In some cases, loyalty to your friends, but it kind of depends on the situation. Hufflepuff, it's loyalty to fairness to treating everyone equally to your friends that are kind of like your found family like just being there around you making everyone feel safe and then Slytherin it's loyalty to family like that's how I've always viewed it you're going to put your family above and beyond everyone else because they have these bloodlines that they're trying to protect at least again in, in the books um which is why Nikasia's loyalty to her mother I see is very Slytherin, even though you're seeing it as very Hufflepuff. So I, both valid. That's just where I'm coming from with the Slytherin side. It may change. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know that much about Nikasia. I'm yeah, and I'm having trouble separating what I do know already from from what we've read. It's hard. I will say I like Nikasia a lot, so I'm trying to give you some cool representation in your yeah. house. <laughs> Thank you. So you don't. Um, yeah. And to me, too, like, empathy, I think, is a really important trait for Hufflepuffs, because I think you get a lot more of that in Hufflepuff than you do in any of the other houses. It's much stronger. Uh, you can be really empathetic. Yes. 
I, mean, I can be really entire, empathetic. Slytherin, my entire career is based on empathy right now. So, like, I hope it is. But I think that it presents itself much more distinctly in Hufflepuff. <laughs> that is fair. <laughs> like, if I were a true UX designer, I would probably be, like, a Hufflepuff. But I... <laughs> I'm just, you know. Well, and this is. I enjoy it. Like, I'm. I know I'm very clearly Ravenclaw, but my secondary house has always been Hufflepuff because of all of the empathy I have for people. Exactly. Anyway. Dane. This one's hard. You know what? I. I think Dane's a Ravenclaw. <laughs> oh, no, I'm so sorry. Okay. I don't want him, but I think he is. Because, like, I don't really think he wanted the power because he, like, craved power. It was more like he was just doing what was expected of him, just, like, following along. And he tried to set up all of these, like, little things you know, throughout to, like, monitor everything. Not really because he was, like, trying to take anyone else down, but because he just wanted to, like, be aware of what was going on. He wanted to have information. He wanted to know who knew what about why and when and, like, wanted to make sure he had all of that information so he could make decisions, but not necessarily decisions to destroy anyone else or to gain more power. Um, Because he just kind of assumed... He got kind of lazy, which Ravenclaws can do this, but he got kind of lazy just, like, assuming that he was going to get the power, and so he didn't crave it in the way that Balakin does. Um, and he was pretty crafty, like, setting up all of the stuff that he did and, like, this whole secret network and, like, tapping a mortal. Like, that's pretty ingenious compared to everyone else that had spy networks. They weren't using mortals. Like, that was a really creative thought that he had to bring Jude into the mix. Now, granted, she's a crap spy, but, like, the thought is good. <laughs> Bringing a highborn mortal into the whole situation is, is a really clever idea, even if it didn't pan out to match, you know, what he wanted. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I don't think he's brave, because I think he's too lazy to be brave. Like, he's not making I any agree. big moves... He's not a Hufflepuff because he's not trying to be fair. Otherwise, he wouldn't have murdered Liriope. No. And no. I don't think he's <laughs> ambitious or cunning enough to be a Slytherin. He's not. He's 100% Ravenclaw. I think that all the points that you made were correct. I think that, for me, it was his whole, like, spy network. That was him very much being like, okay, like, how do I set myself up to be in the best position for basically getting the crown and he thought ahead i think thinking ahead for ravenclaw is like such a big deal like planning meticulously putting all of the pawns in place is so important and he he 100 i think is a ravenclaw but and then the other thing is like ravenclaws aren't trying to outthink deception mm-hmm. they're just trying to make plans Exactly. But they're not really trying to plan for every possible deception and every possible hurt feeling because they don't always realize that people will even have hurt feelings about things. <sighs> Poor Dane. <laughs> no, he got what he deserved. <laughs> okay, how about Pelican? I can go first if you don't know. Yeah, go first. I'm giving him a Slytherin. I think that he is misguided i think that he is ambitious 
in like every sense of the word he will go to the ends of the earth to get what he wants um i think that he borderlines gryffindor in that sense mm-hmm. but i think that i mean i know that you said slytherin's more family-based for you but i think that for me i think it's more of a like self-focused kind of situation like what can i do for myself like if it benefits other people then good um but at the end of the day like what can i do for myself um to help myself not always bad not always good i think for him it was bad um (laughs) but uh yeah killing off your entire family i don't think that's brave i think that's stupid um i don't think it's smart it's stupid i don't think you're it's obviously not like any sort of loyalty or empathy or like anything that hufflepuff is he definitely is not a hufflepuff no um He's just an idiot. <laughs> like, what on earth is he trying to achieve? He is power hungry, and he's driven like insane with ambition. It's he's he's a Slytherin done wrong. Yeah, one hundred percent. I will say to your point about the family thing, I see it as the difference. No, not all Slytherins are going to be family based. One hundred percent, fully yeah. recognize that. But I see it as the difference between the Malfoys and Voldemort. Mm. Voldemort would have destroyed his family to get what he wants because he didn't value his family as equal to him. The Malfoys' legacy is so important to them that they would have done anything to protect their legacy, and that includes protecting one another. Whereas, like, Voldemort's legacy was something he wanted to eradicate because it just made him look weak. Balakin wants the legacy. He wants the crown, but he doesn't care about which of the specific individuals he needs to get that legacy. So he still wants the family legacy, and that's what he's power hungry after, but it's not about a specific person or a specific member of his family as long as he still leaves enough alive to get what he wants. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I agree with Slytherin. I think that's a great call. Who's next? The Roach. Ooh. Do you have an idea for the Roach? I think the Roach is a Ravenclaw. Hmm. Um, I think he has traits from every house, but I think that he is very i mean this just sounds so like surface level but i think he is very smart i think that Mm -hmm. we don't know a whole lot about him but i think for him to get where to where he is and he clearly i think takes on more of a leadership role in the the little circle of spies or whatever um i think that he commands well um yeah and the advice that he gives to jude i think is really important and it's like advice that she can use both as a spy but also for herself um and i think that's really important like it's that whole wise aspect um Mm -hmm. yeah i mean that's all i can say because we don't really know a whole lot about him but that's my initial thought i think that's fair i also I, i mean i agree with sorting him into ravenclaw i also think that like he's honestly pretty chill with whatever happens yeah. Like, whoever becomes king. He's not really loyal to, like, any one specific person. He just yeah. wants to make sure that, again, he's safe and taken care of and it's going to be okay. He doesn't want to own anything himself. He doesn't 
seek power. He just wants to, like, be able to keep doing his thing and, like, have the least number of people bother him about it. And I, that's a very Rachel Claw thing. <laughs> like, we just want to be left to our own devices to, like, learn and practice and, like, scurry into corners and do random crap. So I, I, I agree with him as a Ravenclaw. Yeah. The bomb. I think that the bomb is a Gryffindor. Again, we know absolutely nothing about her, but I think that she kind of, she has to do all of these things for her spy job, right? Has to go steal things, has to blow stuff up, has to do whatever, but she does it with like a bravado and with a flair that she's having fun with it. Not necessarily that it like needs to be you know, um, she's not making the smartest decisions every time, and she's not really trying to gain anything from it. She's just following orders, but she's gonna have fun with it and make it her own in every way that she does it. I don't know. I just, I see her as a little mini, like, Seamus Finnegan, blowing stuff up (laughs) everywhere she goes. 100%. I agree. We really don't know a lot about her, but I think that from the little bits we've seen, she just, she's there for fun. She basically is a spy because she's like, whatever, like, let's blow some stuff up. Let's wreak some havoc. And if I get something out of it, cool. But like, whatever, I'm in it for the plan. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I 100% agree. I think she's a Gryffindor. Okay, the ghost. I struggle with the ghost. Me too. Because I think that the ghost has a bigger plot line later on. Of course he does. Um, So the reason I struggle with the ghost is exactly what we were just talking about with loyalty a couple of people ago. Is trying to figure out how his loyalty manifests and which house that places him in. Yeah. I don't really feel Slytherin vibes from him. Because again, he doesn't really want anything for himself. So it's between Gryffindor and Hufflepuff, but I also, and this is, might sound a little weird, I feel like a Hufflepuff would have questioned some of the orders that Dane gave about, like, mm-hmm. killing Leary Opie and just, like, you know, like, murdering a pregnant person in general is something you would normally question, if you were, again, trying to be fair to everyone, trying to be equitable in your decision-making. So I feel like a Hufflepuff, even if they have loyalty to a particular person, would question why they're being asked to do something like that. They just wouldn't do it full stop. They'd be like, wait, yeah. what did that person do? Why can't we save that baby? Whereas the ghost just did it. He knew it was wrong, but he did it anyways, um, and he's not trying to gain anything of it, and he's not really being smart in that decision-making because it came back to bite him in the ass when Jude found out about it. But he was just blindly following along with what Dane wanted because he thought Dane was the greater good. He thought Dane was the best choice in the situation and that Dane could kind of do no wrong. 
Um, and that blind loyalty, again, is a very bad side of Gryffindor, but I see it as Gryffindor. Okay. I'm putting him into um, Slytherin. Forgetting what I know, I think that he is very quiet and it's very scary to me. Mm. I think there's a part of him that we don't know about. Um, he doesn't talk a lot except to basically like train Jude. Um, he gave a little bit of insight of what he knows with that whole Lirio situation or whatever we want to call her. Um, <laughs> and I think that he knows just from that small tidbit, I think that he knows a lot more that he's not letting the rest of the spies onto. And I think that's very dangerous when one person, like these are, this is, should be a very tight knit group of people, kind of like the crows where like everybody needs to know everything. Because if one person knows more than everyone else, that puts everyone else into a very dangerous position um, when you're keeping secrets from each other. <laughs> Kaz Barker. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that he is holding withholding information that is probably pretty important. Um, and we got a taste of that. And I think that that one taste was really important information. So clearly there's more to know. So for that reason, I'm putting in him in Slytherin because I think that he has there's a reason that he's withholding that information and I don't think it's necessarily for the greater good that's I mean I don't think anything that any of the spies do is for the greater good but I also think that they're very misguided on what the greater good is yeah that's the hard part with a lot of these characters they're all very misguided on what the greater good actually is so it's hard to i also feel like grindelwald saying that so many times but um it's it makes it so hard to sort them because if you feel like you're doing the right thing but you're not what does that make you and it's i think it still makes you if you feel like if you're like your entire like focus is on what you think the greater good is i think it still makes you mostly a gryffindor because like you really truly believe that and like it depends on the environment that you grew up in like you know you get republicans who are like super conservative and like think all these kind of extremist views and that's just who they think that they're doing it for the greater good i mean you get people also who grow up in those environments and don't even try to change their perspective in which case i think that they are not doing it for the greater good because they have been exposed to it but the people who haven't been exposed to those other opinions i think they're just misguided yeah no offense to anyone (laughs) they're probably not listening so it's fine (laughs) but if you are email us let us know (laughs) let us know give us some opinions Oh, God. We've had a lot of splits this episode. Yeah. We have one more, and then we're done. All right. I'm ready. Heather. Hufflepuff. (laughs) Okay. Heather is the sweetest, most patient, loving person in this whole goddamn book. She is everything a Hufflepuff should be. She's a good Hufflepuff. Exactly. She is accepting. She is caring. She is open and patient and just... And she's funny. She's like a perfect little Cedric. Like, she's just so sweet and accepting, and I love her. I agree. I think that, you know, Vivi kind of, it's clear, I think, to her that Vivi is, like, not being completely open with her. 
she has questions like, why am I not meeting your parents? And mm-hmm. But she never once pushes Vivi to make her meet her parents. She's like, right. okay, like, it's fine. I understand, like, there's something going on with you and your parents. I, I completely get that. Like, let's just focus on us, blah, blah, blah. Like, she's so, as you said, patient. Mm-hmm. Which I think is important. <laughs> I completely agree. Yes. No, Vivi, Vivi needs that. Vivi also needs to, like, man up, but... She's not a Gryffindor, so I don't expect her to do that anytime soon. We can at least agree on that. Yeah. Okay. I just counted up our houses. Mm-hmm. I think this is correct, hopefully. Um, we have Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, and Slytherin all have nine, and Ravenclaw has six. <laughs> so we were pretty even. I know. I thought there were, were going to be more Slytherins, but that's I know. interesting. That's I interesting. also thought there were going to be more Slytherins. Does not surprise well, me. We're much more generous. Does not surprise me how few Ravenclaws there are. Yeah, they're not smart. <laughs> no, all of these people are smart. idiots. Even the there'll Ravenclaws be... that we picked are idiots. Yeah. Like it'll be interesting to see how it, this evolves, though. Vivi's the only one that I gave Ravenclaw. Well, and the Roach is smart-ish, but he's more just aloof. But Vivi's the only one that I'm just like, yes. (laughs) Intelligence. That one right there. Oh, God. Okay, let's move on to the tally of character MVPs. Yes. Okay, so I don't think this will surprise anyone. But our top MVP over all of the episodes was Cardin. <laughs> uh, clearly, we love this drunken little boy. Maybe it's because we relate to him as we drink wine and record this. True. Podcast. Maybe we're a little biased. <laughs> Maybe we're just a little bit biased. But. You know, I think he was constantly supportive, (laughs) especially towards the later chapters, which is when we started selecting him. He was constantly supportive. He was witty. He was funny. Just very dry sense of humor, which both of us kind of love because we love British humor and we that dry humor just works for us. Um, So I can get I can get why we picked Cardin so many times. Uh, Honorable mentions tied for second. Tied for second place. We have two characters that hate each other. Uh, Vivi and Maddox. Well, Maddox doesn't hate Vivi, but Vivi hates Maddox. Um, this is, they each had five votes. This is all my fault because... I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that Maddox's not higher because I really thought that, like, you were going to single-handedly give him the title of most MVPs. I thought I was too, but he started getting just... Either he wasn't in some chapters, which made him not up for the running, or um, he got really bad at the end, and so I didn't pick him towards the end. Whereas Vivi was consistently, every time she was mentioned, I'm pretty sure we picked her, one of us picked her as an MVP every time she was mentioned. Because we just loved her that much. Um, She was a good character. And then the only other character... They got more than two. 
So in third place, <laughs> I'm disappointed in this, was Taryn. But only three. So she only got okay. three, but she did get more than Jude, which is questionable. Except she was really sweet and easygoing in the beginning. And so, like, I get why we picked her in the beginning. And I think we're also more critical of Jude just because we were getting her perspective on anything. Like, maybe if we had gotten Taryn's perspective, we would have, and, like, had known what she was doing, we would have been a little bit more critical of her as well. I uh, question that assumption. Because (laughs) think about what we would be getting from Taryn's point of view about Jude. Her reckless sister going around, like, harassing all of the students at school and making her life miserable. we would have known earlier on, probably, what was happening with Locke, so. That is true. So we would have probably selected Taryn less. Not necessarily that we would have selected Jude more. Yeah. (laughs) Jude got as many votes as Oriana and Oak, so... You know what, but I, I have full faith that I'll like her more in later books. Mm-hmm. And technically, if you think about it, Jude got only one more vote than a character who only showed up in one chapter. Novel. <laughs> Which is kind of sad. <laughs> and the entire book was told from her perspective. <laughs> she was in every chapter. It's really sad. It's fine. It's just because we loved Cardin so much. And because I love Dramatic so much, it's fine. (laughs) But the good thing is, we each at least gave Jude one vote. True. So we both liked her enough to vote her MVP once. Exactly. We gave her something. A little bit bit of something. I mean, we did this with Evelyn, too. Like, we barely ever picked Evelyn in the concealed. It'll be interesting our next book if that changes. Maybe we're just... We have a problem with the narrators. I think it. we don't do well when the narrator is talking in first person. That might be it, yeah. So we're going to find a book where that doesn't happen. <laughs> TBD. Why <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't do that a lot. Um, no. Okay. All right. So, yeah. Cardin wins MVP for the book. Which makes sense, because the book is called The Cruel Prince, so... Congrats, Cardin. Congrats, Cardin. You defended your title. (laughs) Kinda. Okay, what are your predictions for what happens next? Okay. Oh, I should write these down. I want to know. Um, I think that Jude and Cardin, well, so I think Jude is going to rule by Cardin's side for a little while. Because Cardin doesn't want to do jack shit, and Jude loves power. So I think that she's going to rule rule by his side for a little while. And then I think the year's going to come, like the year mark is going to come, and they're going to have some kind of a falling out, and she's going to have to go live with Oak and Vivi for a little while. And while she's living with Oak and Vivi, Taryn is going to be pulling some shenanigans I don't know what they are okay and I may have seen spoilers I have no context for on TikTok but Uh but Taryn's gonna do some shit to try and keep 
Cardin and Jude apart. I have no context for why that would even happen. I don't even know if that's going to happen. But that's the only thing that would make sense to me for, like, how she can continue to be an antagonist. And I fully believe she will continue to be an antagonist in the second book. Um, I don't think Oak will be crowned king in the second book. I think Cardin will stay king the entire book. And I think Vivi will tell Heather the truth, and they'll have to deal with that. In the second book. In the second book. Okay. Good prediction. So these are all my predictions for The Wicked King. I'm sure many more things will happen, because boy does Holly Black love her twists and turns, but high level. That's okay. what I think. Are you going to tell me how close I am on anything? No, I'm not. Damn it. <laughs> I had to I try. I see what happens. <laughs> oh, God. Um, I will see you have some stuff right and you have uh, some stuff wrong. <laughs> I'm not going to say how many you got right or wrong. but That's fair. Could be all of them, could be some of them. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> there's, there's a few of each. Well, maybe one of each, at least. <laughs> um, anyway. Great, Julia. Thank you. I'm so good. <laughs> now I'm excited. It's our last segment. We get to play my little trivia game that I made up. Oh, good. I'm so glad I'm doing this after a book. super full glass of wine. <laughs> I know. So I think our last trivia that you did with me was more based around um, Arthurian legends. And this is going to be more book-based, as I mentioned earlier. Okay. Um, with a couple, like, related stuff thrown in for fun. I'm going to try There's really hard. There's 10 questions. Um, mm-hmm. You can choose to answer without multiple choice, but if you feel like it's too hard, I do have multiple choice options, I can tell you. Ugh, look at you. I love it. Are you going to keep know, my score of, like, how many I get I'm right? I'm 100% going to keep it. Okay. All right. I'm ready. Okay. First question. What is Nightfell? A sword. It's Jude's, Jude's sword from her daddy. Okay, that was the, the bonus question. Yes! So you got two correct. Mm. Um, you got the bonus, the first, and the bonus. Uh, so the next question. What does the Lake of Masks show? The Lake of Masks shows people's faces that have previously looked in the Lake of Masks. It's like memories, basically. So, like, when Jude went there, she saw her mom talking to Maddox when they were still happy and in love. You got that half right. I'll give you half a point for that. Oh, okay. It is, um, it shows you someone else who has looked or will look into it. So, it's the past or the future. You're not sure which. Oh, the future? That's cool. Okay, yeah. I didn't know that. That's cool. <laughs> um, next question. Mm-hmm. What part of Jude's body was cut off? There's a bonus one for this also. Was cut off. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was like part of her finger. By that creepy Correct. guy. Yeah. It was her finger. The bonus question is what hand and what finger? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> do, you want, do you want a hint? It's an important finger. 
They're all important. No, there's one that's more important, well, considered more important than another. Your index finger. It, it play, it's like a significant in a romantic Oh, your sense. ring finger on yeah. her left hand. Exactly. Okay. Sort of got that right. <laughs> I knew the finger part. Um, yes, I'm giving you a full point for that. Thank you. <laughs> um, so the next question is, what color is Heather's hair? I feel like it's pink. Correct. Oh, yes. Okay. I was going to say pink or purple, but pink was my first guess, so I'm glad I went with it. You're doing great. Um, Okay. And in what literature did Queen Mab first appear? Romeo and Juliet. Correct. That's easy. We talked about (laughs) I I should say is assumed to have appeared in. No one's 100% sure. Uh, Yeah, fair. Um, The bonus question for this one, just for fun, is what was her role in that? She was a midwife. Correct. Fairy's midwife. Yeah. I'll give it to you. Correct bonus. Um, According to their lessons, what does a shower of stars in the last hour of the night mean? Book related. Oh, um, can I have multiple choice on this question, please? Yes. Thank you. A new ruler, a certain number of deaths, a betrayal of the crown, or a change in the weather? A new ruler. Wrong. It oh, it's betrayal of the crown. Of a certain number of deaths, really? Specifically a dozen deaths, <laughs> Okay, I, I missed that. I thought, because I thought when they did their astronomy lessons with uh, Dul Samara that they were only talking about, like, the stars portending that there was a big change about to happen in, like, the ruling situation, but... This was during Noggle, my MVP. <laughs> oh, well, that was His sense. lesson. Um, Is that the one that Valerian, yeah. he, he yelled at Valerian for? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fair. Next question. What is Maddox's crest composed of? Three things. Do you want the multiple choice? Yes, I do. Okay, I'm going to give you a list, and you have to choose from the list three things. Ooh, okay. A sword, a dagger, a goblet of wine, a crescent moon, a cloak, and a drop of blood. I'm going to go with a sword, a cloak, and a drop of blood. Wrong. Except for a drop of blood. Do you want to try again? A, a, dagger, sword, a dagger, a crescent moon, and a drop of blood. Correct. I'll give you half point. I'm being very lenient here. Um, it specifically says a dagger, a crescent moon, turned on its side so it rests like a cup, and a single drop of blood falling from one corner. Mm, interesting. I would have thought that the cloak would represent his red cap. That's why I added it in. <laughs> I thought it would trip you up. You are correct. <laughs> I, you're Ravenclaw. I gotta, I gotta work hard. <laughs> okay. What are the three poisons um, Jude eats to gain immunity? Blush or mushroom. Mm-hmm. 
The fairy apple. Uh, disregarding the fairy food. Because it's not a real poison. It's only poison to her. <laughs> Do you want the... the yeah, I choice? want the multiple choice. Okay. You got Blush or Mushroom, so this is a list again. Choose two of these. Okay. Nightshade, Wraithberry, Bitterthorn, Death Sweet, or Grey Cap. The first one. Nightshade? Nightshade. And then the third one. Bitterthorn. No. What was the fourth one? Death Sweet. That one. You got Death Sweet. Okay. Not Nightshade, really? Nope. Is it Wraithberry? Yes, it is. Okay. I'll give you 0.5 points for that. All right. <laughs> um, Nightshade is... I was looking up other poisons in fantasy. Apparently, Nightshade is, like, the most popular poison in fantasy. Yeah, I read about Nightshade all yeah. the time. <laughs> um, so, Liriope... Locke's mother is also the name of a nymph in Greek mythology. Whose mother was she in mythology? You may oh, need yeah, choices. I need multiple choice for that. Aphrodite, Prometheus, Narcissus, or Poseidon? Narcissus. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was interesting because Locke is such a narcissist himself. It's true. It is so true. Oh, I love that analogy there me too that's why i added it okay and then this is the last question okay who says this quote quote nice things don't happen in storybooks or when they do happen something bad happens next because otherwise the story would be boring and no one would read it taryn correct yes Yes! let's count up your points you got one two Point five, point five, three, four, five, six, seven and a half points out of ten. Not bad. Very good. Plus, you got a bunch of bonus points, so really, you did get ten. So, yeah, I feel like that was. There you go. I did pretty well there, minus some comprehension issues. But I got one really wrong, and that was the the stars lesson, which that was really hard. Yeah. Well, they had so many lessons about the stars. Stars, I know. <laughs> stars, like, mean something different in, like, every book, too. It's great. Uh, I just, every time they talk about the stars, my brain just immediately goes, Mars is bright tonight. <laughs> okay. Lost my stone. Let's go. <sighs> okay. That's it. Oh my god. I we have finished The Cruel Prince. Oh, I cannot believe we're done. I'm so excited, though, to read The Wicked King now. I can't even tell you how excited I am to read The Wicked King. So, announcements, because that's what we're doing now. Oh my god. Um, now that <laughs> you're like, I can't just take a break. Um, so, <laughs> we, we're going to be taking a little bit of a a break after this second book um because we are tired and <laughs> <laughs> to be honest 
Yeah. Um, but also, we have a lot of life changes that have been happening, and so we just need a little bit of time to acclimate to everything that's mm-hmm. gone on and, and kind of, like, reset. But that does not mean we will not be recording. Um, so we'll be taking a month off from the podcast, so you won't see any official new episodes in terms of, like, us starting a new book from a month after this episode comes out. But in this time, we will still be recording, I think, what do we agree, two episodes? Yeah. We'll be recording two sort of special episodes where we will be going back and reading um, sequels to the first couple of books that we've read. So we'll be reading The Revealed, which is the sequel to (laughs) The Concealed. Chakra alert there. (laughs) Um, And then we'll also be reading The Wicked King. And we'll be doing one episode each for each of those books. So it, it'll it be kind of quick. We'll just kind of run through sort of similar things that, we'll, that we've done here. We'll recap how we feel about the characters, talk about the plot a little bit, how we feel after reading the book. Um, just, just kind of check in. And then those will come out sometime during our one-month break. And then you'll see us again in a month after that, starting our next book, which we will post on Instagram. So... Follow us there if you are interested in finding out what our next book will be. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Unnecessary Angst Pod. You can also follow us on Facebook at Unnecessary Angst Pod. And on Twitter at UnAngstPod, U-N-A-N-G-S-T-P-O-D. And then you can also send us emails, talk about books that you've been reading that you want us to know about, books that... Um, you know, you think we should potentially do in the future. If you want book recommendations from us, want to talk about some of the pop culture references we've made, we're always happy to talk. So feel free to email us at unnecessaryangstpod at gmail.com. And with that, we will officially talk to you all in a month. Thanks for dropping in. Thanks so much. Talk to you kind of soon. Bye. (laughs) Bye. (laughs)